Welcome to Sergey Ross Show. This is an episode number 47, and my guest today directly focuses on the psychology of business. In his work, he founded three successful companies by the age of 24. He was on a senior leadership team of three early-stage, fast-growing companies like Redney, Achievers, Bullfrog Power. He's a business coach, advisor, and author of the book Reinvent and Scale-Ups, Radical Ideas for Growing Companies. He's now helping clients to grow their businesses, and among them are the very best people in tech in Canada. His name is Brent Lowe. Enjoy the conversation, guys. I'm here with Brent Lowe. Brent, thank you so much for coming here on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. I was stoked to have you here because the whole purpose of my podcast was to speak about the psychology of business success. And this is, happens to be your focus as well, which is amazing. Why don't we start by you defining what do you, what do you see as the psychology of business? It's a big question to start with. Um, I think for me, the way that I define uh, success in business, if you will, is scaling problems or scaling solutions rather to problems that are worth solving. And so when we have uh, got to the point where we have a solution and it's ready to scale, that we have all of the tools, the resources needed in order to be able to achieve that. Where does the psychology part comes in? Mm -hmm. So in order to be able to, to scale, it requires, especially for founders and businesses, it's a very steep uh, learning curve. And so uh, it requires us to do a lot of internal reflection hmm. and uh, a lot of um, having the ability to look within and uh, clarify where are we, where do we need to go, and being able to be really honest with ourselves uh, around that. Being able to see why are other people successful? Why am I not being successful? What's the gap? And being able to fill, find ways to fill that gap. And um, that ability to see where we are today, see what our natural patterns are, and then being able to see where are other people at? What are the patterns that they use? And being able to map those back to what we need to do differently in order to become more successful. It's almost like modeling success or modeling what already works. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, um, you know, there's very little that has not been done before by someone in one way or another. And mm -hmm. so by going and uh, learning what it what is it that they did to be successful uh, we need to find our own way so seeing how someone else has been successful and just copying it often doesn't work but being able to uh, evaluate what is it that different people are doing out there and what would work for me and being able to bring that back and making the shifts that we need to in order to um, to, to integrate that learning for ourselves how do you, and you're helping the founders, you coaching the founders and CEOs and, and entrepreneurs to be able to do that. A lot of times what I hear and what I, what I, what I happen to see is that, and I'm sure you, you probably see similar things, is that the founders, they are in a bit of a bubble. They are getting caught up. There's always something to do. There's always a lot of work and they don't quite have the time or they don't have a good probably process to step back and look at, oh, maybe we didn't do very well this program or um, I, my leadership actually is not going in the right direction. And then there are actually other models that I should be following. What do they are missing? Or are they missing a coach? Are they missing the, the, the whole the, the principle? Um, I would say that they're missing curiosity. Uh, when I look at the founders that I've worked with that I've observed that are most successful, they are as busy as every other founder out there. The difference is how they use their time when they're with each other, or when they're with others, rather, uh, in uh, getting super curious 
and asking lots of questions. Um, often when we're early, especially as founders, um, and I say we because I've been a founder before, is we want to prove ourselves to others. And we get caught often in the trap of talking too much instead of asking questions and learning. And uh, a great story I, I met uh, probably about a year ago with a very successful CEO in Canada who is now retired, a uh, very large organization. And uh, we were getting together because we we're going to co-work together on a project. And so I came ready to get into a co-working session. And we spent most of the session with him asking questions about me and my business because he wanted to be a coach. And so I thought, here is somebody who is um, probably 15, 20 years my senior and has been highly successful. And he's still asking mm -hmm. questions. He's using every opportunity to ask questions and, and get curious. So. Uh, I think for for new founders, uh, founders that are scaling into new places, you know, we could be a scale uh, a founder of a scale up that's ten people. That's very different than being the founder of a scale up that's fifty people. So we're always constantly moving into a new group as we grow, and uh, so finding ways that we can surround ourselves with others who have who are one or two steps ahead of us and then getting very curious. So I'm a, a big proponent of uh, CEO groups, um, finding ways, if, if there isn't one that you can be part of, then create one. Figure out who are the people that I can surround myself with and get super curious in, in what have they done, what have they learned. Do you find there's a, a good cadence to be attending those types of groups or it, it's, it's more of a personal thing? Um, I think it's probably more of a personal thing, but my experience is that um, the groups that meet too frequently burn out very quickly because mm -hmm. the, the individuals that are going are very busy. And so if it is, uh, you know, let's get together for a day once a month, that's going to be too much. One day out of every 20, you know, weekdays is too much. At the same time, if we don't meet enough, that the connections die and the, the, the cadence just gets lost. So meeting every three or four months, probably too much. So I've personally found that about once every two, uh, two months, so once about every eight weeks getting together has been uh, a good cadence for a lot of groups. Mm, right. You mentioned also the managing the time or, or dividing your time in the right way. There are probably no one-size-fits-all structure, but what have you found, because you worked with so many successful entrepreneurs, what have you found that works well or possibly how the founders should be thinking about managing their time and making sure that they are more effective than necessarily efficient? Yeah, so boundaries are so important and figuring out how do we want to organize our time and then protect that time with with boundaries around it? Uh, and for me, there's three different big buckets of time. Uh, there's strategic time. So the time that we need to be thinking and get into flow. Uh, there's the tactical time of you know going to meetings and, and working with others and moving the business forward in connection with others. And then there's personal time. Uh, if we don't have enough of that, we risk burnout. And um, I, I, some of the founders that get a lot of uh, notable coverage, if you think of like an Elon Musk, uh, for okay. example, uh, he's a unique individual. He has the ability to go longer and harder than most of us are wired. His DNA is different, I think, around these things. So making sure that there is enough time carved out, whether it be on a, a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, for proper rejuvenation. And uh, when it comes to the, the boundary piece, we get pulled into that tactical element so much that finding and protecting the time for the strategy work, protecting the time for the personal work, takes real dedication and they uh, th they're very easily uh, used if, if we allow, if we give that time up to others. So uh, what I found is the, the most successful 
uh, founders are the ones that are very clear on how much time they intend to keep available and they protect that uh, religiously so that they um, they don't get constantly sucked down into the weeds of the business. It is a balance, isn't it? Like if you intend to respond to every single message, then it would probably take way too long and it might not be the best approach versus how do I respond to the most important messages in this hour that I have available? Absolutely. Figuring out what are my strengths? What are the things that I, as the leader of the business in the role that I hold, I am the best one, the only one that can serve here uh, versus finding the areas that other people uh, can serve. And that can be very challenging because as, as founders of businesses, we start out in the earliest phases doing everything. We are the answer to every problem and every email yeah. and every phone call. And part of that exponential learning curve is learning that there are, there are other people that have the capability and capacity to do these things and being able to uh, protect our boundaries by allowing other people to take uh, those elements that might have been crucial for us to deal with before and they're not so much uh, anymore. Are there any, Brent, are there any simple things that you recommend the clients that you work with to start implementing or low-hanging fruit, so to say, that they could start with and maybe see some benefits and, and get on that on that track? Um, one of the areas is I think it's often easy for other people to see where we can give things up. Hmm. It's hard for us sometimes to see that. So integrating the practice of asking others, do you see things, areas that you could be helping me more that I can't see? And allowing others, others to highlight those um, and asking the questions, why are you doing that? I could do that for you, you know, um, and and uh, creating that space for right. for people, because often if we don't make the ask, people won't necessarily tell us. Um, so that that would be one. Um, it's often something that I as a coach spend a lot of time with my clients working through is trying to figure out what do you actually need to be doing and what do you not need to be doing? Um, we can find ourselves falling into a trap of busy work, which makes us feel very productive because we're doing a lot. We're very busy. Yeah. Uh, but in doing so, we're actually losing focus on the most important things in the business. So being able to step back every once in a while in that strategic time that I was talking about uh, to review what, what are we actually trying to achieve here? And how effective are the things that I'm doing at moving us in that direction? Uh, what, what is the true impact of mm -hmm. the elements that I'm working on? I want to talk about you, about your career. You've been in business coaching for, for a very long time. You've been a founder. You've been working for successful startups here in Canada, like Achievers. What drew you to coaching and, and specifically helping entrepreneurial people be successful? Mm -hmm. What was the uh, drive it, or yeah. that, that obsession that you had that at some point you felt like this, I shouldn't be co-founded or founded a new company, I actually should be doing this? Yeah. Early in my career, I had the opportunity to receive coaching and saw how powerful it was. It was something that I hadn't had any experience with before. And once I felt the power of that, I realized it was something that I really wanted to be able to give back to others. So I, I realized that very early in my career, uh, too early to actually be able to add value in that role. And so I chose paths uh, that allowed me to continue to develop um, the, the breadth of my experience so that eventually I would be able to give back and 
that every time I get onto a coaching call now, for me, it's the rush of being able to, to give back and, and know the feeling of being on the other side, of being the person that is, uh, is getting benefit from coaching. And I still have a coach myself. I believe everybody should have a coach at, that's at a senior level uh, because we need a space to take what's in our head and right. get it out. And we need somewhere that is, uh, I call it like a safe sandbox to play. Somewhere where I can play around with ideas before I bring them out in the world. And um, so that's the experience that I had very mm. early in my career. And that's now the experience that I've worked to be able to provide to others. And, and some people do it through meditation or self-journaling, but that wouldn't be powerful enough. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't be enough action-oriented or accountability-oriented. Right. Meditation fantastic journaling fantastic if if you or any of your listeners have the uh the ability and um and have been introduced to those tools fabulous what coaching does is it provides that extra layer of question asking and uh opens up the possibility of seeing some blind spots that we may not be seeing um so I find that in a lot of my work, it's the question that I ask at the right time that opens a door that wasn't open before. And so right. journaling and meditation, meditation is great at creating space uh, in our, our mind, um, opening the opportunity mm -hmm. for us to do better, clearer thinking. Journaling allows us to, to take stuff out of our head, get the rumination that's been going on in our heads out. Once we write things down, often it allows our, our mind to, to calm. So it's another great way to, to bring space and clarity. Coaching provides the extra questions at the right time to um, take us down a different path that maybe we wouldn't have got onto otherwise. So you started very early. I think you were, you said you were 18 years old when you found this group of musicians or vocalists and there were like four of them or five and you said oh actually i can help them i can help them be successful and you did uh they started touring i think they started a record label you were 18 like what made you at that age think i can actually do that hmm. i'm not sure i'm not exactly sure how to answer that question um other than to say it comes back to the same answer in a lot of ways to the coaching is I saw an area to be helpful and I knew that I had skills that were, were different and balanced mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. those of the artists and, uh, and we started doing something together and it was very much a, let's just see what happens. And lo and behold, seven years later, we did fabulous things. Uh, but it didn't start there. It started as something very simple of seeing where help was needed and stepping in. And, you know, in, right. in so many ways, if I could just add on that, I my experience has been that this is how the best businesses, the most successful businesses are often built, is there's a problem that needs to be solved. Hmm. And the founder sees that they have a skill set that they can put to use to solve that problem. And so often when that match happens, that's where the, the real beauty comes to life. Absolutely. And um, you a lot of times can spot the, the talent. You, you can spot somebody who is really, really good at what they do and but and you help them develop that and it comes through coaching it comes you work with the founders and also people who are maybe not necessarily the founder but they are very entrepreneurial what are you looking for to spot that talent or what are the signs that you see that tells you oh this person can be actually really really good and I'm coming from that story of the marketing specialist, I believe you, 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 mm -hmm. you saw yes. that they were so good and then, and then um, found in that marketing agency. Uh, what are some of the things that, that you see uh, or maybe questions you ask yourself? Um, I would say that two of the things that I see consistently are grit and initiative. Uh, so grit is that ability to stay in the game and keep pushing. And initiative is 
the the drive to to strive if you will and when that gets mixed with a skill set a passion a personal passion uh that's where i find the real magic happens Mm. um and most successful founders fall into a similar uh profile and that is that they are um competitive in some way doesn't mean that they're necessarily externally competitive a lot of the time it's competitive Mm -hmm. with themselves pushing themselves more uh which is that grit and initiative and the other part is a lot of creativity so the willingness to push um boundaries i have to describe it as i don't give me a color a picture to color i want to draw my own lines and so it's that that combination of the creativity, the creative thinking to see something that's that that hasn't been made yet that is possible, and then having the grit and initiative to bring it to life. Seth Godin makes a very clear distinction between a freelancer, somebody who's a freelancer, somebody who's an entrepreneur, and, and they do combine those set of qualities that you just described. I was curious to hear your thoughts on how do you define both? What are the differences? Where do they differ? Somebody who's a freelancer, somebody who's clearly wants to uh, perfect their craft versus somebody who wants to build a business? I, I would say that it, the, the difference for me that I see is what you spoke about of craft, I think is really important. Freelancers tend to have a craft. They are passionate about their craft. They are passionate about practicing their craft entrepreneurs are passionate about building something bigger than their individual craft. And that's important because often what founders find as their businesses start to grow is they drift from the initial craft that they have. So uh, somebody who is, for example, a, a passionate software developer and really has honed their craft of software development and then becomes the CEO of a software development company often doesn't spend very much time at all coding anymore. They're, they're into a different world. So they're still they're on the peripheral of software development. They need to be um, uh, aware of what's going on. They need to be able to ask good questions. The craft that they are honing is mm-hmm. one that's much more about business and yeah. growing a business rather than the initial craft that maybe the software developer who becomes a freelance software developer might be passionate about. Mm-hmm. So in your book, you have reinvented scale-ups that is available on Amazon. By the way, we will link it in the show notes. so Everybody can go check it out. You focus a lot on the leadership aspect of running a company. Why this particular angle that you've chosen? For me, so if I go back to what I said at the beginning around you know, what, where my focus is, is uh, um, in scaling solutions to problems we're solving. And in order to do that, it takes real leadership to step in um, and, and be able to move from that craft mm-hmm. to the true leader that's growing an, an enterprise, an entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, what we talk a lot about in Reinventing Scale-Ups is new and different ways of doing that. So historically, what most of us, all of us really are familiar with is growing a traditional hierarchical business. That historically has taken one type of leader, mm-hmm. somebody who uh, you know, sits at the top of a pyramid and controls a business uh, that's below them. And, and that's the type of language we use, right? Um, what we talk about is that that's evolving for businesses to be able to move at the speed that they need to move now, the traditional hierarchy is no longer um, sufficient. And we talk about stepping into new and different, more radical, agile ways of structuring and running businesses. That takes real leadership. Mm-hmm. Leadership that's not just found on a business card or in the, on the footer of your email, but it's a really um, deep, personal leadership in order to um, be able to work with colleagues and bring a full 
uh, ecosystem to life around you that isn't controlled because you as one person are at the top of a pyramid. And uh, so the courage that's required to do that is what we really uh, aim to nurture in the book and also provide a lot of the practices. So if that is the type of leader that you want to be, how do you do that? What are the practices that are different? Because we're so accustomed to what it looks like to be uh, the leader that has the title and everybody looks to. But what does it look like if it's if you want to build a different kind of leadership? Yeah. Um, and so that that really is what the book is about. Right. So so you give them some practical advice uh, that they could start implementing, but also the principles that to help them with a the transition. Right. So there's there's five kind of steps that I think about when you want to build a business, whether it's a hierarchical business or uh, otherwise. The first is coming up with, as a leader, what's my philosophy for my business? Or what's our philosophy as a team about how we want to grow this business? What is it that we're actually trying to create in the relationships that we have and, and how we're going to work together? So first, we have to figure that out. And what most organizations do is at some point, every organization starts out as self-managing, self-organizing. You know, if you and I started a business together, we'd sit around a table, we'd have some conversations, you know, you'd say, okay, I'll do some things, I'd do some things, and we'd be off and running. At some point, let's say we grew our business to be 10 or 15 people, one of us is probably going to say, wow, there's a lot of people here, we should hire a manager. Right. Right. And in that moment, we've made a decision that we're not necessarily even aware of. We're building a hierarchy. And a lot of the things that we loved in that early stage of being entrepreneurial, being creative, uh, the, the, uh, just the entrepreneurial energy that's available, all of a sudden it starts to go away and it starts to get laden with bureaucracy and all of these, mm -hmm. these different things. Um, so we can choose to do something different. And that's what falls into that step one, the, the philosophy bucket. After we've chosen our philosophy, then we need to bring that philosophy to life through uh, practices. So a practice in a hierarchy business, for example, is we're going to make an org chart and it's going to look like this and it's going to be a pyramid. That's a practice. Um, this is how we're going to run a meeting. I'm the boss. I'm going to stand at the front of the room, deliver the message. That's a practice. So if we want to do things different, there are different practices that we can use. So we talk a lot in the book about those practices. After we have those practices, I'm sure you've experienced this in your own life where right. um, you, you decide, oh, I'm going to do something. And you do it for maybe two weeks and then you forget about it and never do it again. So step oh. three is, yeah, how do we take those practices and turn them into rituals and routines? And rituals and routines generally happen in one of two ways. They're either something that can be calendarized. So, you know, once a day, once a week, at the beginning of every meeting that I take, whatever the case may be, it's something that's triggered by time. The other is triggered by an event. So every time we receive a purchase order from a customer, we automatically are going to do this. So, so we've created a ritual and routine around it. Uh, the, the fourth step is then how do we onboard everybody else hmm. to this way of working? Uh, how do we onboard the people that are already in our organization to these practices and rituals and routines? And how do we onboard the next person that's going to join our organization uh, into this? And then lastly, everything we've done so far, steps one through four, they're all prototypes. We're guessing. We're thinking that this is going to work. This is going to achieve what we want. It may. It may not. So at what point are we going to step back? And just do a bit of a retrospective and say, how are things going? What's working? What's not working? Let's go back around to step one again and, and go through the list again. And so this is really what we talk about is what are those practices? How do you create rituals and routines? How do you go back and review? How do you onboard people? Right. Um, all of those types of things. And you are... Um, you are very big on the non-hierarchical structure uh, of companies. What is what is it like? How does it work? And um, and, and talk a little bit about the scalability because I'm sure some some folks will be concerned about that yeah. hierarchical like with specifically a non-hierarchical model in companies. Right. Sure. 
question I get often. And so I'll start with saying that the largest company that I'm aware of that works uh, without a hierarchy of this sort, um, it's a bit of a misnomer that there's no hierarchy. The difference is that in traditional organizations, there is a structured, rigid hierarchy. In self-organizing, self-managing businesses, there's still hierarchy, but it's dynamic. It's constantly changing and evolving to suit the, the needs at any time. The largest business that runs that way is um, Gore-Tex. Uh, they are three billion in revenue, 10,000 employees, and they don't have any managers in the traditional sense uh, of the word. So Amazing. is it scalable? Yes, it is. Um, does it take work? Absolutely, it does. Um, so the, the, uh, the reason that I'm so passionate about it is because, you know, I, I was an HR leader for years and I built hierarchy. I was great at writing policies and building management structures and, and all of those things. And what I came to realize is they don't work very well often. We think they do, we, you know, because it's the only thing we know. But once I was introduced to new ways of doing it, I realized, wow, this makes so much more sense. And the reason is that our world is changing. So, uh, you know, it used to be that we didn't have the kind of communication systems. We weren't moving at the speed that we were before. So there needed to be somebody smart at the top that would take all the ideas that get rolled up synthesize that all, make a decision, and then pass it down to the organization. And, and there was a time where that was really needed and important. Now things are moving so fast, and we're used to just being able to Google something. We're used to being able to vote up ideas on you know, Quora or Facebook. Yeah. And uh, this is the world we're living in now. That's not how a hierarchy works. And um, so being able to uh, look at systems that are much more transparent, much more fluid, um, allow the people with the information to make decisions. Um, is, uh, it's where we're headed, I have mm -hmm. no doubt. Uh, it's a slow journey. 99.5% uh, of organizations are still uh, either strongly or at least partially hierarchical in nature. Um, but a shift is happening, and we'll see it. So and there's in so the, much more yeah. empowerment, right, uh, Brent? Like so much more empowerment in uh, for employees. Like I can actually make a decision fast instead of dragging it down and waiting until the manager gets back to me in a week. Absolutely, and you know the the language that I use, I I no longer use the language of employee and manager. I use the word colleague uh, mm -hmm. because that really is the shift. It's uh, I'm your colleague. You have a role. There's certain work that you need to do. I have a role. There's certain work that I need to do we're just human beings that are working together, right? And uh, yeah. there are, uh, w within uh, these new organizations, there's different rules of how we work together, how we make decisions, when you make a decision, when I make a decision, how we make those decisions together. Um, but yes, it's, it, it allows everyone in the organization to feel like I have a voice, uh, I can take action, I can go talk to anybody in the organization, they're all my colleagues. Uh, if I have an idea, I can go and I can share that idea. Um, so it's it's a very different environment. And the organizations, many of the organizations that I work with are moving in this direction. And what uh, the leaders in those organizations will often say is, there's no way our company could go back. Uh, there's and, and many of the colleagues working here are almost becoming unemployable. They couldn't go and work in an hierarchical organization again because once you have the experience of what it's like to be in this type of environment uh it's just the thought of going back is not on the, not something that's that's a possibility and it does remind me a little bit of um, jack o'willink uh you, you probably heard of him the former navy seal the author podcaster runs the jocko podcast and he wrote a book, Extreme Ownership, where he does talk about one of the principles, which is uh, decentralized command. And decentralized yes. command in the military is where you give a certain type of autonomy to your team to be able to make decisions instead of uh, keeping them paralyzed and, and not allowing to, to make a call. Uh, and even sometimes if it requires them to step up and, and, and do go above their responsibilities and it just frees up everyone and and they're they're well they're 
welcome to use their judgment and Jocko is a big proponent of that. And there does remind me a little bit of, of that philosophy uh, in the non-decentralized hierarchy. 100%. This is something that the military is really working on now because traditionally we would think of the military as being one of the most hierarchical organizations out there. Um, but the, the, the enemy, if you will, of mm -hmm. many military organizations now are completely decentralized. And so a centralized organization trying to compete with a decentralized organization is becoming very challenging. And uh, David Marquet has written the book, I believe his book's called uh, Turn the Ship Around. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the story of when he went on to a sub and he ended up uh, becoming the leader of the sub without the proper training uh, that a sub commander would normally have. And so he couldn't uh, lead that sub in the way that subs were normally led because he didn't have the, the knowledge and experience. So he empowered his team and he took that sub from being the poorest performing to the top performing mm -hmm. in the fleet. Um, so it, it, it shows that there, there are a lot of uh, great examples out there of how decentralized ways of working are, are taking hold. I want to ask you this. So if you are looking, if, you, if we are talking about the founders, they, they very certainly or very likely have a specific idea they're working on and they're focused on. But if we are talking about people who are who want to be founders and who are entrepreneurial, maybe they are freelancer right now, they're probably more than one direction that they could pursue. They could do um, maybe video creation and then they can do audio or they could create a physical product and they create a software product. What is your take on, and, and a lot of times what happens is they would go and do both or do more than more than two. What is your take on picking a direction and focus? Do they just focus on one thing? Do they, are, is there a possibility to do something else at the same time? Like, I was just curious how you think about that. Yeah, it's, it is a really tough question. What I would say in the earliest phases, um, when you have somebody that's great at generating lots of ideas, finding ways to pursue a few of those ideas, if you can you know, lose it, use a, a lean startup type methodology to try a few different things and see what gets traction early, uh, because it's often it's difficult if you only have one idea, that idea might work, it might not. But very quickly, once you start to see that there is traction somewhere, you really do need to focus. Um, the businesses that tend not to succeed are the ones that become too broad and try to keep too many irons in the fire uh, for too long. So um, I would suggest figure out what is the, the solution that you have that is a solution to a genuine problem. Hmm. Uh, where there is traction and you're getting traction because people are feeling like their problem is being solved. And I say that because I see so many solutions that are looking for problems. And uh, that, you know, is, is a, a fast or a slow burn way to a dead end. So, you know, finding what is, where is there a real problem and then once you find that problem and you figure out, I have a solution and a solution that's wanted and desired and that I can deliver, that is where the, the fuel needs to go. And that's generally what um, investors are looking for too. They're looking for a founder that has found a problem, developed a solution, has figured out the basics of how can this problem start to scale. So there's some, some proof that they as an investor can come along and fund that, put put fuel on that fire mm. and know that it's going to take off. Right. Yeah. So in a lot of your coaching sessions, you do focus on identifying the thoughts and the beliefs that yes. the founders have. Do you find is that uh, a common common aspect that holds people, that holds founders and entrepreneurs back? It is. It is. Um, and not in all parts, um, but that's generally as a coach where I uh, am called in is there's something that's not working, right? So I need some help. And um, 
generally the, the way it flows is we have beliefs and those beliefs ha come from all sorts of different places, often from well back in our childhood, our parents or you know, lots of different things. And then those beliefs shape our thoughts. Those thoughts turn into the words that we use, turn into the actions, how we show up, the behaviors. And over time, those behaviors become habits. And those habits lead to the results that we're getting. And so if we're not getting the results that we would like, we need to unwind that whole story and figure out, okay, is there a habit that's not serving you well? If so, why do you have that habit? And what might be involved in finding a new path? And so sometimes it's as easy as just going back and saying, hey, why don't we try a different habit? Sometimes we need to go all the way back to the belief piece to unpack what's the underlying belief that you have that is not serving you well and what other belief might serve you better. Hmm. Um, so that is a lot of the work. That we right. And a lot of times the belief you have, you would never uncover it yourself. You wouldn't even know that you have that. It's, it's just the, such a natural thinking process that somebody has. Absolutely. It's the, you know, I describe it as the rose colored glasses effect, right? It's when we're looking through uh, a lens with a certain color, we just, we eventually don't even know the color is there. And that is so much of what the, how our beliefs are. We see the world through that lens and we don't realize that lens is actually there. What's your thinking behind habits and the time to build a habit? I've heard so many different, different time length. And uh, some people say it's 64, 65 days. I've seen, uh, I've seen the numbers all the way to 224, 225. I was curious to see where you stand on that. I don't know. It's the plain answer. Um, I, I, you know, it, it, for me, it comes down to how badly do you want to build that habit? If you really want to build that habit, it doesn't take very long. If you yeah, you're not sure if you want to build that habit or you're being pulled in a different direction, it's probably going to take longer. Um, so I don't have a, uh, a number and I even just look at my own mm -hmm. life and, you know, sometimes I can build a habit in a few days. Sometimes I'm still working on it 45 days later. Um, so uh, I don't know that there's, uh, my experience, I'm not sure that there's a set answer to that question. Right. When, when uh, the founders and entrepreneurs lack motivation, their performance drops, maybe they've experienced success over a certain period of time, maybe they feel a little too comfortable. How do you help them rediscover their why or rediscover a certain driver that either has changed or wasn't well-defined in the first place? It wasn't deep enough, wasn't emotional enough. Yeah, an exercise that I like to do often, I do it for myself and I like to do it with my clients, is to write a letter to myself from the future um, so being at the beginning of a, a decade, I just did one for myself for the end of this year and the end of the decade. And that's a great exercise because for some people it becomes very easy. And by going through the process, it's a forcing function to define some things that are maybe a little bit loose or foggy. For other people, it can be a very challenging uh, process because they, they just they've lost their way they can't see that distance anymore and so that's when we need to to go back and start digging um and and asking a lot of exploratory questions um so ultimately when we get to the point where we can write that type of letter hmm. and we believe that what we've written is pretty achievable and that if we can do that we feel pretty good we're going to feel pretty good about that i'm going to feel good if i can get there yeah. and i think i can get there that's fabulous that's where we want to get to when when we can't do that anymore then it's time to get curious hmm. and start asking questions and um th there's no uh i don't think um silver bullet to being yeah. able to figure that out um other than getting curious and and pausing and that's one of the places that a coach can be really good because we can ask all sorts of questions. Mm -hmm. We can go in all sorts of directions uh, and see what happens. Uh, we can try some things behind closed doors, just on our own, um, throw it out, see if it sticks, come back two weeks later, see if it still is still there or not. 
you had a challenge with New Year resolutions a couple of years ago. It, you, you said that, uh, I believe it was on Medium, you said that I, I'm, it's January, I'm kind of going through it, but then it's just super hard to hit those goals. And you found a certain framework that worked super well. What, was, what does that look like on, on a high level? Yeah, and that really is the, the letter that I'm talking about. But what makes what's really important in in that letter process is that we actually transport ourselves to that future date hmm. and we stand there and we look around. What is it that we're seeing? What is it that we're feeling so that we really get into that place? And, you know, what's going on in our life from a friends and family perspective? What's going on from a financial perspective? Uh, what's going on from a, um, a fun perspective? perspective yeah. in our life uh, what is the fire that's burning in us at that time and um, yeah so I think it's writing the letter purely from an intellectual place isn't going to be that successful but if you can truly embody it and feel it it's like oh I I know what this is going to feel like when I get there I know it I I know deep down what that's going to feel like then it and, starts and, to plant and, itself. And you spoke about the visualization, the importance of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that really is the piece because if we only ten percent of our our thinking is conscious to us, about ninety percent of our our mind is unconscious. And when we can visualize what it is that we're after, we're basically training our unconscious to help take us there. It's doing the 90% of the work while we're busy doing the 10% in other places. And um, it's, it's that same, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the example before of if you decide you're going to buy a red pickup truck, then all of a sudden the things that you see around you are the red pickup truck. Right? Well, when you decided to buy that red pickup truck, you, you started to feel what it would mm -hmm. be like to drive that truck. Yeah. You started to really think about it. You started to really look at the brochures or online, right? And yeah. that is, and then all of a sudden you start to see those, those trucks everywhere. That's the same thing, right? Our, our subconscious all of a sudden says, ah, red truck, right? I'm supposed to be paying attention to red trucks. That's what we're doing with our, our internal um, wiring really uh, for the year is, oh, right. These are the things I'm supposed to be paying attention to. These are the things that I, I'm, I'm looking to achieve this year. Touching the future in a way. Absolutely. How far out you need to be thinking about the letter when you write it out? What's the what's the ideal time frame? I think it depends on the individual. So um, this year I've had clients working on one year, five year, uh, sorry, one year, three year and five year. Hmm. Um, and then I did a 10 year. So it depends where the individual is at in their, their their life and what they can see into where they're ready how far mm -hmm. into the future they're ready some some of us are we're in a time of chaos and man if i could see to the end of this year that would be fabulous mm -hmm. and others are i'm pretty stable like i can see where mm -hmm. things are going there's a bit of a trend here so i can look further um so depends on the individual and the circumstances brent what are the books that you keep coming back to or you have gifted in 2019 yeah uh one that i talk about a lot is crucial conversations and it's a, a book that provides a lot of very helpful uh, frameworks as well as examples of how to communicate and especially as we move into uh, a space where we're more agile, we're more self-managed, self-organizing. The ability to communicate effectively is so important. And almost always when my clients call me and they're having a problem, it's, it's a communication problem. I would say 90% of the conversations that I have are somewhere grounded in a communication problem. And so being able to develop our own skills, uh, and it's, it's honestly, it's something that we don't really learn we're not taught very well in school of how really do we have a good conversation with, with somebody. Um, and so that's, uh, that's probably one. And maybe another one is uh, the book, who W H O, uh, 
author's last name is Smart. And it's, uh, it's a recruiting uh, process. And uh, as somebody who's recruited, done a lot of recruiting, once I found this book, I've never looked anywhere else. Uh, and I refer my clients to it often because it's a very easy to follow, um, highly proven process. Uh, that's uh, why I like it is it's easy to get a whole team on board. Everybody can read the book and then everybody knows, oh, that's how we're doing. Super simple. Right. Got it. Right. That's that's great. We'll link it in the show notes. Everybody can go check them out on Amazon. I'm going to read them. I haven't read any of those, so that's going to be really interesting. Are there any business leaders or 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 people who are in the leadership positions, thought leaders that you personally look up to? Hmm. So many, um, you know, that the people that I look up to the most are my clients. I, uh, I'm, I'm gifted the opportunity to look deep inside the lives of the founders that I'm working with. And, um, I learn on every call. And so going back to where we, we spoke earlier in the conversation about being curious and right. learning from others, um, uh, as much as I'm working really hard to help my clients, I learn so much every day from those conversations. Brett, before I ask my last question, where's everyone can find you online? Sure. I'm at uh, brentlow.com and uh, brentlow tweets. Excellent. I'll, uh, it will be in the show notes so everybody can go and uh, connect with you. Uh, I think they have some, some questions based on this conversation. My last question, what impact would you like to have on the world? I would love to continue scaling solutions to some of our biggest problems, which uh, for me is uh, climate change and sustainability in our world. So um, for me, every time that I can speak to a founder or speak to anybody who has a solution in that space and I can help them uh, make their impact bigger, that's a win for me. That's amazing. Brent, really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Thank you guys for listening. One thing before you take off, if you have any suggestions who you'd like me to interview next or questions I should be asking them, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a note. I've got my email and LinkedIn in the show notes so you can do so. I've got some incredible guests coming who are thought leaders in the truest sense. I will see you all the next one. Cheers.